This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm Dennis Tubergen, your host. Glad you decided to listen in today. Hey, joining me on today's program is a gentleman who just wrote an interesting article talking about the dollar is finished. It's a very provocative article. Uh, his name is Alistair McLeod. He's the head of research at Gold Money. He is a returning guest. I'll talk to him about his article and what's going on with fiat currencies in segments two and three of today's program. You'll want to stay tuned for that. This is your last opportunity as well to get a complimentary copy of my July 2023 special report titled Mid-Year Forecast from a Panel of Experts. If you'd like to get a copy of this report, all you need to do is visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. And when you visit the website, all you'll need to do is let me know where to mail that report. Again, the report is titled Mid-Year Forecast from a Panel of Experts. And when you request the report, I'll also send you a copy of my best-selling revenue sourcing book, as well as a copy of the best-selling book, The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. So again, all those resources are free without further obligation, and all you need to do is visit requestyourreport.com to get them. So you may have seen what Jerome Powell said this past week. Jerome Powell said that uh, the Fed is no longer forecasting that there will be inflation. Now, that may be the Fed's position, but I believe that there uh, are many, many signs that we are heading into a recession. In fact, I would make the argument that we're in a recession now. And if you're planning for retirement, I would adjust your personal finances accordingly. Now, let me give you a little background on this. Back in my book, 2011, uh, that was published in 2011, I should say. The name of the book was Economic Consequences. In that book, there was a chapter in which I examined the notion of unintended consequences. Now, in the chapter, I offered several example of examples of government actions that may have been taken initially with good intentions. Now, we can debate that at another time, but the bottom line is, these government actions ended up causing unpleasant, unintended consequences. Now, you really can't debate the fact that the American with Disabilities Act actually resulted in fewer disabled people working, and the Endangered Species Act, designed to preserve the natural habitat of threatened species, really resulted in habitat being destroyed. See, this is a common result of, of, of action taken by bureaucrats and by policymakers. Owners of land, for example, that could considered to be the habitat of an endangered bird or animal at some future point, log the land or change the character of the land before such a declaration can be made. There are example after example after example of this, arguably, the Model Cities program of the 1960s uh, was really the program that began the descent of many of today's cities, including uh, here in Michigan where I live, the city of Detroit. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Because it seems that the real estate market now is beginning to suffer as a result of the Fed's extremely low, totally artificial interest rate policy over the past several years. Now, it's no surprise to anybody listening to this that interest rates on a 30-year mortgage at 2.75 or 3% fixed 
was really an artificially low mortgage rate. And because of this low interest rate, there were a lot of homeowners that bought a new home or refinanced an existing home. And now the Fed has been increasing interest rates and a 30-year mortgage rate is now north of 7%. In fact, this past week, the Fed once again increased interest rates by another quarter percent. Well, these low mortgages on a fixed rate have now many of these homeowners with low mortgage rates in really home ownership jail, if you will. They really can't afford to make another move now that interest rates have returned to a normal level or a more normal level. Now, Wolf Richter commented this past week in an article that he published actually on July 21, and I'm going to quote, the exact numbers are hard to nail down, but we can guesstimate from the figures we have that the entire housing market, both buyers and sellers, has shrunk this year by 20 to 25 percent compared to pre-pandemic years. 20 to 25 percent less demand, 20 to 25 percent less inventory and new listings. Prices are now down a tad year over year, showing that the market is roughly balanced at this smaller size because buyers and sellers have vanished in equal numbers. And Richter says the same thing that I did. We know who these people are. They're the homeowners that have low mortgage rates that now cannot buy and therefore cannot sell. In other words, they can afford their home at a 3% mortgage rate, but they cannot afford their home at a 7% mortgage rate. He continued, and again, quoting the 3% mortgages that a lot of homeowners now have, <clears throat> excuse me, after the huge refinancing boom during the pandemic, prevent those people from buying a new home because they might have to finance it at about 7%, which would increase the monthly payment on the same size mortgage by 50% or more. And that's the end of the quote. Now, I took a look at what these numbers really were. So if we just take a 30-year mortgage in the amount of $350,000, so that would mean roughly that somebody, let's just say, is buying a $450,000 home, putting $100,000 down, and they're financing $350,000. If you finance $350,000 over 30 years at 3%, your monthly payment is $1,476. That same 30-year mortgage, if the interest rate is 7.25%, the payment is $2,388 a month. At 3%, the payment is $1,476. At 7.25%, the payment is $2,388. That is nearly a $1,000 a month difference with the only variable there, the interest rate being charged on the mortgage. Now, if you like percentages, that monthly mortgage payment increases by 62% when the interest rate goes from 3% to 7.25%. Now, real estate agents love the 3% mortgage at the time it existed. It really artificially boosted the real estate market, but now many real estate agents are viewing it as a curse. Richter talks about this in his article, the same one I referenced earlier. 
Quote, and for realtors, the 3% mortgage, as much as they loved it at the time, has now turned into a gift from hell because the real estate industry is making commissions coming and going. One, when these homeowners sell their old home, and two, when they buy a new home. Each household that is now prevented from changing homes because they're locked in by this 3% gift subtracts two transactions from the market. One when they buy a new home and the other when they sell their old home. And realtors are losing both ends of these deals. The fact that realtors are losing both of these deals is why the industry is so upset about these homeowners that refuse to sell and it consistently blames them for the low inventory. But the industry fails to state that the other half of this reality, though they all know it, that these homeowners who refuse to sell have also vanished as buyers. And therefore, this portion of demand has dropped in equal measure with inventories. So you've got a large group of homeowners that have left the market as both sellers and buyers because they had this really good interest rate deal because interest rates were kept artificially low. So here we have the unintended consequence, perhaps, of a real estate market that is slowing because the number of buyers and sellers have evaporated. These low interest rates had a lot of people that potentially maybe weren't ready to make a real estate transaction at the time, but it motivated them to do so because interest rates were so low these people are now no longer part of the market. So the unintended consequence here is that artificially low interest rates kept real estate going for a while, but now it appears that real estate, at least in my view, will likely screech to a halt. I believe this will ultimately affect traditional investing asset classes as well. That's why I would invite you to request a copy of my July 2023 special report. It's titled Mid-Year Forecast from a Panel of Experts. You can get your copy of the report by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. And when you do request the report, I'll send you a copy of not only the report, but the revenue sourcing book, which contains a retirement planning strategy for the post-pandemic economy, You'll also get a copy of my best-selling book, The Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. So again, to get all those resources absolutely free, visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with Mr. Alistair McLeod. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod. If you're a longtime listener, you'll recognize that Alistair is the head of research at Gold Money. He is a prolific researcher and writer uh, on all things currency related. And uh, it's a pleasure to have him back on the program with a lot going on. So, Alistair, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me on, Dennis. So, Alistair, let, let's jump right in. There's so much to talk about. The, the big news 
the, the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, are having a summit in South Africa uh, about a month from now as we're recording this. And they've announced that there will be a gold-backed currency that will be rolled out. Tell us what you know about that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's quite a lot of confusion about this. Um, but uh, I think the announcement on this that matters is um, the Russian one, because Russia has been planning uh, a gold-backed currency. Uh, initially, it was for the Eurasian Economic Union. And um, that has obviously spread. I mean, it, it, right at the outset, um, Sergei Glaziev, who was in charge of that project, uh, wanted this to be available for the wider Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So basically, he saw it um, initially as um, uh, something which would, you know, it was a Trojan horse, if you like, for a new trade settlement currency for the whole of um, the uh, Russia-China axis, if I can put it that way. And uh, this is now being extended to BRICS. Um, the thing that's interesting, I mean, at the moment, Dennis, there's a lot of confusion. I mean, I see so many, you know, comments. Um, you know, you've got minor officials in India saying, no, we're not looking at a gold, you know, at, at a gold-backed currency. You know, but I mean, minor officials actually aren't, you know, they don't have the plot. The one that really matters is Mr. Putin, President Putin, and Sergei Glaziev, who's his chief um, economic advisor on this. And uh, we know the way in which Sergei Glaziev is thinking because he wrote a very, very important uh, article in uh, a Russian um, business paper called Vedomosti, uh, where he actually laid out the um, sense of having, in this case, he was talking about the ruble going back on the gold standard. And I mean, I could have written this. He was writing exactly what I've been saying. And uh, uh, so this, you know, you would think, okay, he's talking about the ruble, and I can see that there's a lot of sense in the ruble going on to a gold standard. But I think initially, um, the Trojan horse, another, you know, another Trojan horse act, I think is this um, uh, trade settlement currency. Uh, and the reason I think that is that this article in Vedomosti was actually co-authored by one of the other committee members um, uh, on the uh, Eurasian Economic Union uh, Committee looking at this. So I think the, the genesis of this uh, very clearly shows the direction in which this is going. Because apart from anything else, if you're going to succeed in overturning the dollar as the medium of um, international exchange between um, uh, the Shanghai Corporation and uh, BRICS uh, partnership, then you've got to offer something better than the dollar. So I think that's really the starting point uh, on it. There is another aspect of this which I think is very, very important, and that is you've got to look at it in the context of the uh, wider uh, battle between the hegemons, America on one side, and uh, Russia and China on the other. Now, Russia's doing very well in the war. Now, you wouldn't know that from reading the um, Western press. But, uh, you know, if you go to authoritative sources which are neutral, you can see that this is not going Mr. Volensky's way at all. Uh, and um, 
but the, from the Russians' point of view, they do have a, a problem uh, because uh, with the, the way commodity prices have just sort of generally sunk, uh, we find that the, the, the ruble has gone weak. We find that uh, the yield on the uh, 10-year um, government bond has been rising, and we find that the trade surplus has also been falling. So I think uh, President Putin is under some sort of pressure to do something about the Ukraine situation. Uh, and uh, the easiest way in which he can achieve that is to take steps to weaken the dollar. So I think that um, it makes sense from the Russian point of view to introduce this into the BRICS summit um, uh, on, on uh, August the 22nd. As far as China is concerned, um, I think I've until recently taken the view that China looks at um, uh, her trade surpluses to uh, America and also Europe and uh, would want to protect those. But I think the, the uh, priorities have changed. Now, the reason that this is the case is slightly complex, but it has to do with um, the potential for America by raising interest rates to destabilize members of BRICS, because a lot of the membership of BRICS and the intended membership of BRICS um, owe money in dollars. And the higher the interest rates go, the worse their financial plight becomes. So uh, as far as China is concerned, um, I'm pretty sure that she thinks this is a deliberate ploy by the Americans to destabilize the whole of the BRICS concept. Now, this is very important because China has invested a lot of money, for example, in Africa. If you look at the roads and rails that she's already built and those that are planned, I mean, it's like looking through a lace curtain. There are roads and rail all over the place. The whole continent is being opened up. China does not want to jeopardize that. So I think we've got this switch, if you like, away from trying to protect her export markets by not undermining the purchasing power of the dollar and the euro in particular, to trying to protect um, that bigger tribe which is gathered around her of uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and also BRICS. So I think in a nutshell, we've now got good reasons why both Russia and China are ready to promote uh, a trade settlement currency designed very much on the lines put forward by Sergei Glaziev. Now, that basically, Dennis, is where we are. Well, Alistair, thank you for that explanation. And if you're just joining us, I'm chatting today with the head of research at Gold Money, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Alistair, I've read from some sources that there are now, uh, I believe, 41 countries that have applied to join BRICS. Um, can you comment if that is accurate from, from your perspective and what you know? And secondly, if so, that seems like it is a, a mass exodus quickly away from the dollar. Uh, yes. I mean, so if, uh, the ones which I know are joining actually amount to, to 36. Now, since um, the, the public list was available, uh, that seems to have increased by another five. Now, I suspect that the other five are the members of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization who weren't on the original list. The point being that uh, apart from those five, all the Shanghai Cooperation Organization's members, dialogue partners and associates, which basically is the whole of Asia apart from Southeast Asia, um, were uh, are down to attend this conference. So why would they attend the BRICS conference? Well, my view is that it's quite possible that 
Russia and China are going to seek to consolidate the Shanghai Cooperation Organization with BRICS. Now, that's not going to be something that happens overnight, but however, an intent, an intention could be announced. Uh, it has to have the, um, if you like, the unanimous approval of the existing BRICS members. Now, whether that's forthcoming or not, I don't know. But if it is not forthcoming, if, for example, India might be dry, dragging her heels, then it's really quite simple to deal with. And that is that there will be a new category of um, BRICS, uh, those who intend to join and the intention to join. And if they are accepted as having uh, a serious intention to join and they are acceptable to Russia and China, then they can be in that new category and included in this new currency plan, um, uh, you know, as if they were members of BRICS. So I think that what we're looking at is we're looking at a total now of 41 countries attending this um, seeking to, 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 to join in, in, in BRICS, I mean, countries who are not already part of BRICS. This is a major thing, Dennis, and I think you're right to make the comment that, um, that it is a major, you know, we are looking at something pretty major, uh, because um, the effect of this is that there are going to be at, uh, at least 41 uh, central banks who, uh, once these plans are official, I think will be dumping dollars to buy gold. Um, it makes it makes a lot of sense that that's what they do. And I think that we've got some confirmation of this because was it two weeks ago or was it three now? Uh, Janet Yellen went to um, Beijing. Um, now, when you get the head of the U.S. Treasury to, going to Beijing to talk to the Chinese, you know that they're going to be talking. She's going to be talking about um you know, selling bonds like U.S. Treasury bonds or trying to stop the Chinese from um, selling the ones they've got. And uh, so they'll be worried about that. And then um, really just currently we've had the 100-year-old Henry Kissinger going over there. Now, I, I don't think he went there for a health cure. I suspect that uh, <laughs> the, the, the powers that be in America thought that, you know, here was the man who basically – um, did more than anything else, along with President Nixon, to bring China into, um, if you like, the, the, the capitalist world. Um, he is a friend of China. He is a wise man. And, you know, this sort of age and wisdom is a very powerful combination in China. So um, I think he was sent along, basically, because where Janet Yellen failed, uh, there was a hope that he might succeed. And I think this is all around this new currency, because those that know about it will be extremely concerned about the consequences for the dollar. Well, Alistair, we have uh, just a little bit of time left in this segment. I want to pick this conversation up in the next segment. It's fascinating. Uh, but in the time we have left, if you'd be so kind as to explain the mission of gold money and what it is that your company does. Uh, yes, indeed. I'd be very happy to. Basically, gold money stores uh, gold and silver and platinum group metals, but it's mainly gold and silver, uh, for people around the world in vaults around the world. And these are all, um, you know, either uh, London Bullion Market Association um, uh, vaults, or they are vaults which are fully insured and part of well-known vaulting, international vaulting companies. 
We also have um, uh, uh, we also have within our group uh, shift gold in New York. So uh, people who want to buy coins or uh, small bars and uh, take them home or have them delivered to their home, uh, there, there is that alternative as well. So that's basically what we do, and we store it outside the banking system. So if the banking system falls over, your property is protected. And you can learn more at goldmoney.com. The clock says that we need to leave it there for this segment, but stay tuned. I'll be back with Mr. Alistair McLeod after these words. I'm Dennis Kuberg, and you are listening to RLA Radio, and I'm chatting today with Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. Uh, I would encourage you to check out his work. Uh, He is a prolific author and researcher. You go to goldmoney.com and click on the Our Research tab. You'll find uh, many of Alistair's articles there. So, Alistair, we were talking about, in the last segment, um, the, the, the BRICS countries uh, next month rolling out a new trade settlement currency that would be backed by gold. Um, you know, as, I'm, as you were talking, I'm thinking that, you, you know, there's, there's U.S. Treasury bonds that uh, countries that need to inventory dollars hold. I um, mean, when they, uh, you know, need to uh, have dollars, they redeem those Treasury bonds. And you can correct me if any of this is, uh, is not correct. Um, won't the BRICS countries have to develop a similar reserving system for this new currency? Um, I don't think so. No, it's actually very easy to do. Uh, virtually all these, all, all the central banks involved have been accumulating gold. In fact, last year, uh, there was a record amount of central bank accumulation of gold. And if you look at the central banks that were doing it, um, it was almost entirely Asian central banks. Um, the other one which is, is interesting is Singapore. Singapore has really racked up quite a lot of gold for the size of the country it is. And, um, you know, I w- what I would say is that the Chinese leadership in Singapore, or the ethnic Chinese leadership uh, is probably a better way to put it, in Singapore, has always been extremely well informed of um, China's um, strategy, intentions, and objectives. So, I think that's uh, probably a key indicator that gold would be eventually involved in some sort of currency um, revolution, if you like. Uh, And so um, I think the easiest way I would do this is I would set up a new issuing bank, which would be a central bank. This issuing bank would then take in um, gold from the uh, the member central banks, as it were, within the organization and uh, pay out in turn um, a gold linked currency, a new currency, always reserved 40 percent by gold. Now, this would mean that um, a, a, a central bank putting in gold into this new um, issuing central bank uh, would receive two and a half times the value of the gold that it is actually earmarked for this purpose back in this new currency. So it would have quite a substantial uplift in its reserves, which it would then use as the basis of um, expanding credit or allowing the commercial banking network under its control to expand credit based on this new currency for trade settlement and commodity acquiring purposes. 
And it's important to realize that such a currency is not going to be circulating for the general public anywhere. And also because it is restricted to just trade settlement and the purchase and sale of commodities, the credit is in effect self-extinguishing. So you're not going to see a runaway bank credit situation, which has so often destabilized um, economies in the past. So it's really a very simple thing, Dennis. I have written about this, and I would urge anyone who has more interest in it, um, either to wait until the 22nd and the 24th of August, or alternative, go to one of my articles on gold money, and you'll find how the thing could be constructed. I don't know that Sergei Glaziev will be doing it exactly as I have suggested, but I would have thought that the, the lines on which he's thinking are not too far removed from the way I've put it. So, Alistair, what does this mean? I mean, our, many of our listeners uh, do business in U.S. dollars. They uh, have their retirement savings in U.S. dollars. Um, what do these developments mean for someone that has virtually all their assets in U.S. dollars? What, what, what will their personal financial situation look like moving ahead? Well, I think there are, there are some quite serious threats um, to the value of those investments. Uh, the first is from the currency itself. Uh, you must bear in mind that uh, foreign ownership of U.S. dollars is considerably greater than U.S. GDP. Now, this is something that has accumulated really since the Second World War, and more particularly since the Bretton Woods Agreement was scrapped in uh, August 1971. Today, uh, according to the U.S. Treasury itself, the total of bank deposits, short-term in, uh, investments, and also long-term investments in foreign ownership amounts to $32 trillion. This is an enormous figure. It really is. Now, of that, about $6.5 trillion is uh, in deposit money, mainly in uh, you know, branches of foreign-owned banks based in New York. So this is, this is um, I think, the real problem, because when the dollar begins to be sold down, then the purchasing power of the dollar will also diminish certainly measured against gold, which, remember, is real money and provides the constancy of prices over long periods of time. The second problem, I think, in all this is that um, if the bear market resumes, and I think there's good reason to say why, uh, and I will sum it up very, very simply, when you get contracting bank credit, you get a credit crunch. What happens is that credit becomes in short supply. So interest rates, the rates at which you pay in order to borrow money off a bank rises, and it can rise quite steeply. Now, under those circumstances, the bear market, I mean, it hasn't been all that obvious so far, but a bear market in financial assets is bound to resume. And that, I think, will be the greatest source of loss to anyone who is overinvested, overexposed, overcommitted to financial assets. So, Alistair, this this dollar sell down, this this uh, this this purging, if you will, of uh, foreign holdings of U.S. dollars. Um, when do you see that beginning in earnest? Well. It could, I mean, it could well begin before August the 22nd. I mean, if you look at the chart of the dollar's trade weighted, it did break down rather sharply um, in the week following uh, the Russians' con confirmation that um, this new currency was going to be considered at the summit. Uh, and I think that's a very important point to note, that the timing of it. 
It has, the dollar has rallied a little bit since then, but uh, in technical charting terms, I mean, this is the sort of thing that you would expect when you break a level of uh, support, an important level of support, very often you do get a rally back up to test that support, which now becomes supply, because people who failed to sell before heave a sigh of relief and get out at the level at which it broke down. And then, of course, the um, uh, the, the trend, in this case a downtrend, then resumes. So we're seeing quite a lot of confirmation um, of sort of from disparate sources that this indeed is what is happening. Um, the dollar does not look good. I would sum it up that way. So, Alistair, uh, as far as the, the details of this gold-backed currency that the BRICS countries are going to roll out, uh, uh, I just want to use an analogy. You can tell me if this is appropriate or not. But, you know, when uh, the, the dollar, uh, when Franklin Roosevelt in the United States uh, made all American citizens sell back their gold, it was at a rate of $20 an ounce. And then Bretton Woods established the new price of gold at $35 an ounce, which was arbitrary based on the conditions at the time. Uh, if BRICS makes a similar uh, calculation, uh, what do you think happens to the price of gold? Well, it's 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 a rather different situation. I mean, I think I think you're right to um, mention Bretton Woods. Bretton Woods actually was 1944, and it was Roosevelt who set the $35 level in 1934. So, um, the you know what we're now looking at is the ending of this fiat currency era. Now, it's obviously not going to end in one huge great. Um, shift but so, but i think this is rather the first indication of a move back to gold backed currencies because i would expect russia to follow i mean just uh, just for everybody's um, understanding the point about sound money is that interest rates can remain low without disrupting uh, values and so in the case of um, a gold-backed currency, typically a basic interest rate of around about 25 to 3% is the sort of level that you'd be looking at. Now, Russia at the moment on its 10-year bond uh, has to pay something like 11.5%. So you can see that there is enormous advantages and enormous advantages for the economy, the Russian economy as a whole, uh, if interest rates are fixed at a stable, low level because of um, the introduction of uh, a sound ruble as opposed to a fiat ruble. So this, is, this, I think, is going to be an important development, and I think it's going to be widely understood by non-Keynesians, by, um, if you like, the people who haven't bought the Kool-Aid from um, uh, Keynes' uh, uh, general theory, which was published in 1936. This, I think, Dennis, is a very, very important development. So... Do you have a, I mean, gold, I guess, is a, uh, the price of gold in dollars is a relative thing, but do you have a forecast? Uh, I, I, no, I don't forecast. I never, ever forecast <laughs> because I would be the first to admit um, as a stockbroker of long standing that, you know, you can pick a number out of the air. But all I can say is that the consequence of this will be inevitably to undermine the purchasing power of the dollar. So uh, if you just look at the chart of gold, um, this would suggest that fairly quickly we could be challenging the old highs, which are somewhere around about 2050, 2070. 
And if that breaks um, on the upside, then uh, it could actually go a long way further because the consolidation from uh, hitting the high in August, I think it was August the 8th, uh, 2020, until now has been quite a long, solid confirmation. Uh, and it's quite a, um, a powerful looking pattern. Silver similarly has a pretty powerful pattern underneath it. And it's worth bearing in mind if you want to speculate that uh, silver tends to move at slightly less than twice the speed of gold, both down and up. So if gold is looking good and you buy into that argument, then uh, silver could be a way of maximizing the return. But what I would say to everyone is that the real point of buying physical gold is to get out of credit. It is credit which is losing purchasing power. And I think another point uh, you know, which is worth making is that if you put a currency onto a gold standard, then under normal circumstances, you'd want to see the currency settle at a rate which you could maintain. With this new um, trade-based settlement currency, that's not required at all. It really doesn't matter. Uh, so this is, this is actually something which is very, very new, and I think it's a point which very few people really have grasped. Well, the clock says we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. You can learn more about his work at goldmoney.com. Alistair, it's amazing how fast 24 minutes flies by when I'm talking to you. I'd love to have you back down the road for an update. And uh, I know the listeners appreciate all your perspectives as well. Thank you for joining us today. It's very much my pleasure, Dennis. Thank you for having me on. We will return after these words. You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm Dennis Tubergen, your host. And thanks again to Mr. Alistair McLeod for joining us on the program this week. Hey, if you're just tuning in, I have available, this is the very last week, and you, you can request it, the July 2023 special report titled Mid-Year Forecast from a Panel of Experts. We, uh, in the report, get the opinions as to where markets are headed from four different experts and uh, put it all in a 12-page report and deliver it succinctly to you along with some recommendations that uh, you might want to consider moving ahead. To get your copy of the special report, visit the website requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com and when you do visit that website and request your report, I'll also send you a copy of two of my best-selling books absolutely free. You'll get a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book, which contains a retirement planning strategy for the post-pandemic economy. You'll also get a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. The website for all those free resources is requestyourreport.com, requestyourreport.com. Now, many of you probably saw this past week the article uh, that reported on the Fed increasing interest rates again by another quarter point. Fed Chair Jerome Powell also made a very bold statement. He said that a recession is no longer in the forecast of the Fed. Now, assuming Mr. Powell is correct, and let me just publicly state that I do not believe he is, 
But if he was correct, that would be good news if you're saving for retirement because it would mean that maybe stocks are going to continue to do well. Traditional asset classes will continue to do well. But I believe there is a statistic that I'm going to share with you in this segment that tells us that Mr. Powell will end up being wrong. I believe that when you take a look at the money supply, the money supply recently did something that it has not done since 1929. And I have covered this on my weekly headline roundup newscasts. In fact, if you'd like to go check those out, you can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and there are more free resources available there. Again, the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. But the M2 money supply recently contracted at a rate not seen since 1929. Now, this was all reported in an article published on The Motley Fool. And before I get into that, let me just explain the difference between the M1 money supply and the M2 money supply. M1 is essentially money that's in your hand or can be accessed very easily. So M1 takes into account cash and coins that are in circulation, demand deposits and checking accounts, and traveler's checks. These are This is all money that is, is right there and available. Now M2 takes M1, which is again, cash and coins and circulations, checking accounts essentially, and adds to it savings accounts, money market funds, and CDs below $100,000. This is money you have access to, but it might take a little extra effort to put this capital to work. Now, if you take a look at the M2 money supply during the COVID-19 pandemic, M2 soared 26% on a year-over-year basis. That is the steepest increase in the money supply when you back test this and look at the numbers going all the way back to 1870. Now, it's no surprise why we had this huge increase. There was massive amounts of government stimulus that was really financed or funded by Fed currency creation. The Fed's balance sheet expanded by nearly $5 trillion over that time frame. And it's also no surprise that that led to inflation. And given that there is a lag between when inflation occurs and when the currency supply actually increases, that makes perfectly good sense. But now when you take a look at what's happened, we have seen a year-over-year decline in the M2 money supply at a level not seen since the time of the Great Depression. Now, I have long forecast that we would see inflation followed by deflation. If you've been a long-time listener to the program, you know that that's what we have been talking about, and now we may be seeing signs that that is exactly what is starting to transpire. So do I believe that we are going to avoid recession? I do not. Do I believe that Mr. Powell believes we're going to avoid recession? I don't know, but... Certainly when you have a contraction of the money supply year over year like we have seen, that is deflationary. And despite the tough talk from the Fed, despite what they're saying they're going to do, I believe that moving ahead we're going to see the Fed eventually revert to easy money policies. And I realize that I do have guests here on the program that are very bright people that disagree with that assessment. 
I believe the most likely outcome near term is stagflation. I believe that we will, over the next period of time, near term, see rising consumer prices combined with a contract, contracting economy. That will create a very high misery index, and then that climate will likely morph into full-blown deflation, and that will take down stocks and real estate to an even greater extent. So if you're not using a planning process in your personal financial situation that will give you a really good opportunity to survive inflation followed by deflation, it might be time to check out some additional resources. One of those resources is the Revenue Sourcing Book. And if you request the July 2023 special report by visiting requestyourreport.com, I'll send you a complimentary copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book. Um, And you'll also get the July 2023 special report titled Mid-Year Forecast from a Panel of Experts. Go to requestyourreport.com and I'll send you all those resources absolutely free. Again, the website requestyourreport.com. Also, if you're not using the free resources available at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, I'd encourage you to do that. On the website, you'll find the podcast version of this radio program. You'll find my weekly headline roundup newscast. In fact, if you'd like to participate on Mondays at noon Eastern time, you can do that. Just sign up on the website. And uh, you'll also get copies of my weekly Portfolio Watch newsletter on that site. So, again, that's retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's all the time I have for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week. 